There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Joining the Dots, the podcast from the makers of Huck magazine. I'm Mike Fordham, one of the founding editors of Huck. In this episode, we sat down with recording artist Ghost Poet. Ghost Poet, otherwise known as Abaro Ejimiwi, makes intriguing music. His music shot through with evocative imagery and percussive grooves. The sound is difficult to categorise, so I won't even try. It spans all sorts of genres and all sorts of influences. But what brings it all together is that you keep going back to it again and again and again. We spoke to Ghost Poet as the world was reeling in the wake of the tragedy of George Floyd after a long London lockdown of three months or so and just after the launch of Ghost Poet's album I Grow Tired But I Dare Not Fall Asleep. When artists obviously responds to what's around him and, um, and it'd be remiss of us in the week that we're talking in the uh, first week of June, yeah, first week of June 2020, mm. just out of COVID, well, just coming out of COVID. <laughs> just like, out, but I don't know about that. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. Just, that's what, that's what we're told. Say. We're being told yeah. stuff along that lines. Yeah. I don't agree. And then, and then we have the um, events of uh, in Minneapolis mm. and George Floyd. Yeah. And the quite, the quite intense reaction, which Rightly I'm not so, surprised. I feel. Yeah, exactly. I'm not. Uh, I'm not surprised. I, I've been a little bit surprised about the intensity and the ubiquity of it. Really? Um, Why? Because this stuff has been happening for a very long time. Correct. Um, and it's. I, I think. I mean, I'm, it's no news to me, right? It's no news to me. I, America means a lot to me. Um, I spent a lot of time there. I've got family connections there. Um, I lived there for a bit and I've seen that radical injustice and the kind of that, um, the violence that actually is like soaked and the blood that's soaked in that earth. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, uh, uh, What I'm trying to understand, I'm a bit confused. I, I totally, I'm in total agreement with you in terms of how you described, um, America pretty much. Um, in terms of um, racial inequality. Um, but I don't understand why you were surprised by the intensity of the reaction. I suppose when I'm talking about the intensity of the reaction, I'm talking about the visibility of that intensity. The visibility, okay, okay. Yeah, probably that because I guess I guess in this, and that's probably because... Um, of the, this ubiquity of social media mm. where everyone's signaling that. Yeah. That well, it's got, it's got, for me, I wasn't surprised because, you know, we've seen this, um, obviously there are different situations, but, you know, we've seen things like the Arab Spring um, um, revolts that was happening, I don't know, the year, it was maybe a few years back now. And the amount of social media that we, was you know, videos and and yeah. people documenting those times. So for me, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think social media has made, made it very much more visible. Um, but at the same time, I think that's, that's an amazing thing because, you know, the initial act which has caused all these protests around the world was filmed when a lot of this stuff hasn't been. 
and mm. I think that's that made a bigger impact the fact that you had someone in being murdered on camera you know and mm. I think that's made a massive difference um and yeah I I think people have had enough and feel that change needs to happen sooner rather than later and I think mm. you know you you have a, a a powder keg of a situation where you know everyone's been stuck indoors through the coronavirus um black people in America and over here are have ha, been suffering this disproportionately off the back of this through be it unemployment be it access to healthcare that's more obviously America than here and then on top of that you're seeing a black man murdered by a policeman and streamed all over the world so I completely get it and it's sad that in 2020 the year 2020 that we're still having to talk about this but at least we're talking about it you know at least we're having a conversation about race and racial inequality and the need for racism to end in every shape and form. So, yeah, you know, it's um, it's a nuanced and complicated and awkward at times conversation to have, depending on your experiences and your feelings about these things, but it's good to mm. talk about them you know and hopefully mm. actions will come about that will cause that will be a cause for long-term change you know how was um the events in america with george floyd how has that affected you personally um for me i feel yeah i feel tired i feel angry frustrated um this is something I've dealt with all my life. So you kind of can get very desensitized to it all because you're dealing with it on a regular basis. So it's a weird one because obviously America is a much bigger place and, and we have many problems over here in the UK, but you know, the the police brutality is magnified because of the, the, the size of the country and the amount of cases of this happening, you know, it's always going to, loom large um in 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 it's so, it's so widescreen you know so it's so magnified so you know i think as a human being you're going to be affected in you, you unless you have a heart of stone you're going to be affected by someone being suffocated on on t on on camera for that period of time you know that's just how it is so that's definitely my feelings. Um, but there's also a feeling of enough is enough and things need to change. Um, what about yourself? How do you feel as a white man? How do you feel about the situation? I'll, I'll share something with you here that I'm in danger of banging on a bit too much about lately. But my first gig, and I'll, but I will share it with you because yeah. I think it's very relevant. Mm. My first ever gig as a journalist was in uh, 1992, mm. uh, a student paper, and I spent an afternoon with Gil Scott Heron. Right? Um, it's, yeah, exactly. It's been downhill from there, really. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect. No, no. I'll, I'll I, take the disrespect when it comes to him. I didn't, I didn't realise at the time. I mean, in, and then we're talking, this was 1992, right? Yeah. This was 28 years ago, is it? 28, yeah, 28 mm. years ago. Yeah. And... He said, "There's two things that really keep on resounding with me, right? Mm. This was just after the LA riots, right? right? Um, right. The King. Yeah. And we had a chopper one floating in the air. We had the, the cameras looking at the right end. Yeah. Um, we had it, it, in full screen, widescreen, as you say, for one of the first times. Mm. And of course, the question was, hey, Gil, what about, you know, would a revolution still be, tele still not be televised? Mm. He said to me, he looked at me and he said, listen, man, it won't be televised. I'm paraphrasing here, right? Yeah. Bear with me. That wasn't revolution. That was tearing shit up. Mm. The real, re and he said, the real revolution 
comes with that half turn inside yourself when you make a commitment to recognizing the change and acting upon that change with mm. a program. Mm. That's the real revolution. Right. And you can't photograph that shit. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. That that's that has resounded with me for the last 28 years and never more so than in the last couple of weeks, right? Mm. And also there's another thing that that, that that related to that in the same conversation. Bearing in mind, this is my first fucking gig as a journalist. Wow. What a lucky, yeah, what a lucky break, right? Yeah. He said to me, listen, and, and I was intrigued at him because, because of his, you know, he was always held up as the godfather of hip-hop, right? You know, and in the 60s, he pioneered that spoken word and the kind of, you know, the civil rights movement. He was so vocal about, about blackness and the, mm. and, the, and the struggle. But he said, listen, man, there's a million shades of blackness. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Mm. I mean, there's a million shades of blackness. When I see, when I see blackness, I see, I see a working man. When I see a working man, I see a black man. Mm. Um, and we're, you know, this is the thing that's kept us apart. This, this um, lack of class consciousness. Mm. And, and what he said, the, the, the kicker was for me that, that then he then he explained to me that you know I don't know if you know but he's, he's, his dad was Jamaican. He actually, yeah. He, Didn't he play football, football for, for in a, played in Scotland. For I think. That was it. He played football. Yeah. He played football for Scotland. Yeah. Nice. So and, and his mum was part Cherokee, right? Ah, yeah. So and if you think of Tennessee in the forties and fifties when he was a kid. Mm. Um, that was a rare thing. There weren't that many Jamaicans around, right? Mm. Most most of the black people around him would have been the 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 the, the, the descendants of American slaves. Yeah, 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 for sure. And 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 would have been part of that classic migration from the Southlands to Chicago and Detroit mm. and mm. industrial lands. Mm. So and this was he, he was relating this to me. He said, I didn't feel like a proper black man myself. So I had this white skin. My mum was a Cherokee Indian. Mm. My dad was Jamaica and he wasn't, he was a Jamaican. He was around a lot. Mm. I spent most of the time with my grandmother. I didn't know who I was, man. Mm. So there's a million shades of blackness and that really has stayed with me. And it's a takeaway that there's so much ambiguity in, in race and class mm. that this is the tragedy that I've been hit with seeing that, the metaphorical potency of the, the knee in the back of George Floyd's neck mm. is something that will be burned into the culture now. And I yeah, think sure. that will promote what I really hope will be lasting change, right? That's what I'm hoping for as well, you know. I feel it's 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 sad that George Floyd had to die um at all. And but I feel the circumstances of his death like you say, is will be burned. That's such a great way of looking at it. Like I was saying it, the burn, burn into culture now. And um, I hope for the same. Um, I feel that there is a definitely a willingness for change in more people, more visibly um, than I've ever seen. Um, I went to a protest in Hyde Park a couple of days ago and it was the, obviously you know in in the UK black people make up about four percent of the population so you know it was always going to be less black people than white people but it was amazing to see the amount of white people who are out and yeah were as passionate about mm. wanting change as much as as black people were and that's the old, that's the thing you know Ultimately, as human beings, we all, we all, most of us want to live in peace and live in harmony together. And this is something that needs to change for that to, for us to mm. achieve that potential goal. So only time will tell. I've been listening to your music for, for about 10 years. I think I first came across your music um, via Giles Peterson. When I think of your music, I think of intrigue. I think of, it's almost like a literary experience. It's almost mm. like a sort of an immersive 
literary experience that kind of sends a little nugget in in your brain and it's intriguing is what I, is um, is what is the word that comes to mind um Thanks, tell me man. about thank you uh, yeah, tell me about where you think your music sits in the terms of creativity um i um i don't really think about it if i'm honest i just my mission from the very beginning is just to be just to continuously make stuff that i like that's that's it really and i um over the years i've definitely learned a few things and over the years i've definitely soaked up way more music um than i did than i i was um initially um exposed to in the beginning of my career but i just kind of yeah i've just constant continuously tried to just push things forward and try and make every album as unique as possible and um yeah just make music with depth and feeling and meaning and that's really the most important thing for me and yeah and so yeah you mentioned that about the the albums and they certainly seem to have um a character of their own what's the process um in terms of starting out an album do you is there a process or or is it does that emerge through the making it changes from album to album um with the latest record i decided to produce it myself which um made me think put me on a different path creatively i guess um i with most records i am starting the demos at home and um from the back off the back of demos which could be a combination of voice notes and recorded um elements be it on piano or guitar or whatever i then start writing and i go back and forth between the writing and the music making until something sticks really um with this particular new record it was a case of um going into the studio with as fully formed ideas as possible because I wanted to, because I was directing it, so to speak, way more than before, I wanted to make sure that the musicians in question knew it was clear what the direction was um, from the off because I, as much as I, I class myself as a musician, I'm not a musician in the in the classical sense or the musical training sense so it was important to uh, get my ideas across in a, as clear a way as possible so i went about doing that and um yeah it's kind of a con it's kind of an experiment at the same time a process that i try not to <clears throat> i try not to overthink it and I, I i just want to have fun in the studio as much as possible you know yeah and uh yeah, it's that studio. You can you can tell that there's a sort of a layered element, especially to this last record. I think you can feel the um, you can feel the sort of depth of the production. The production seems like it's it's almost like the the, 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 the central part of the record without it being too. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like um, when I mean, do you? I mean, you've obviously collaborated with a lot of different people o over over the time and that stepping into being a producer, um, I guess then really makes you challenge the process itself, doesn't it? And makes you want to get inside those songs and you probably discover stuff in the making of them that you didn't know were there, I imagine. I wouldn't say challenging more than, than normal. I always have done that. Um, and as much as it was me stepping into the production seat, so to speak, I've co-produced all my records. so. I'm very much in the process. It's just kind of a case of for this record, I wanted to just take the wheel and not be in the passenger seat, so to speak. Um, so yeah, it was different, but the same, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. These, these feel like um, sort of condensed works of literature to me in the last album. There's a lot of stuff about, um, it feels like a lot of stuff about the alienation of technology and the media um, and, and elements of mental health in there. Mm. Is that something that you consciously put in there or does it just just sort of arise as you're making it? Um, 
I don't know if I agree with it being condensed literal works. Um, I valued the sentiment, but I kind of, I feel that the music is as important as the lyrics. Mm. Um, so it's a combination. I'm, I'm thinking consciously about both at the same time. Um, in terms of um, the lyrical themes, the writing, um, it's a combination. It's a combination of, well, initially I'm soaking up the world around me, be it through the media or through conversations or through um, conversations I'm, I'm having or uh, conversations I've overheard or um, little snippets of things that I've um, read somewhere and I've scribbled that down and then forget, forgotten about it. So it's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of conscious thought and it's subconsciously things that I've soaked up over a period of time and I then, through allowing the music to dictate the direction of my words, something will come up, a line will appear and that will guide the next line and the next verse and then the chorus and stuff like that really. So I kind of, I don't, I try to be, I try to just let the music dictate to me where the lyrics should go. But in terms of the themes and the ideas and the, what I want to tackle, it's, it's, it's in there, it's in my mind. I just, I just don't like write a whole load of stuff down before I consciously decide to make a record if that makes sense. where you grew up, what your background is, what you're exposed to uh, as a youngster. And also I'm interested as well, it's sort of part of the same question really. Ghost Poet as a, as a moniker is a, it's an intriguing thing. I was wonder, wondering where that came from as well. Um, I don't really connect my upbringing with my music. It's in the mix, I guess. It's not really that important in terms of me now um, because I'm always trying to push forward and I'm very much um, a what's the word I am a product of the times that I'm living in I constantly am trying to understand the, the current time that I'm living in I think history is important I think you can't forget your past. Your past is obviously dictates or will determine where you, what your present will be and your future will be. But for me, I'm always trying to tap into the zeitgeist of the times. So, yeah, that's kind of my answer to the first part. Um, second part about my moniker, um, this is something I made up a long time ago. I wanted to, I wanted a name that was more of a um, doorway than a uh, a spoon-fed uh, name where you kind of have a clear indication of what the music is behind the name. I just wanted to make something that was more a curiosity. And if you were curious enough, you'd open a door and enter into the world that I was attempting to create on any said record. So that's kind of it. It's kind of a, a weird one because obviously I'm, we're putting in the word poet into anything. People assume that I must have something connected to poetry or spoken word or I'm a very literal person and I am in some senses, but not more so than any other artist really. So I've been suckered in by that name by presuming that you were... I've been sucking <laughs> everyone in for the last decade. <laughs> My own <laughs> fucking mistake, but you know, what can you do? 
That's life. So can you talk a bit about that that background and where did you grow up and you know you know what what were those earliest musical memories? Um, I grew up in Tooting, South London. Uh, my musical memories were pretty boring. This is standard. Well, not standard. My dad is Nigerian, so I was listening to a combination of Nigerian music, traditional Nigerian music. My mom's West Indian, so I was listening to soca, reggae, calypso, Caribbean music. There was elements of other stuff in the house. I listened to a lot of pirate radio. Once I went to school, I started to get exposed to further stuff away from the African Caribbean influences of the home. Started to listen to more guitar music. First record I bought was Badly Drawn Boy, The Hour of the Bewilderbees. And that kind of sent me in, onto a journey discovering all types of stuff. And I've just gone on a journey from a very young age to discover or no soak up as much music as possible because I don't look at I don't feel the need to restrict myself to any one genre or feel that because of the of this is the way I was brought up that means that's the only music that I can listen to I don't look at it that way I look at music as a universal wide spread thing and that was something I didn't fully understand I wasn't articulate enough to at the time to explain that or understand that for myself but I've always had this hunger to this soak up music and genre has never meant anything to me right yeah so tooting um uh I lived in tooting for a year it's uh I mean that is a it's one of those parts of town that is very eclectic isn't it and you know yeah like a lot of London yeah. I guess um yeah I didn't really yeah. have any my musical as in my career didn't start till well not career but my music making didn't start till I went to university in Coventry um so I was about 18 um before that it was just a more of a list I was in a listing mode just listening to a whole load of music um realizing that I, I loved music but didn't feel there was any other didn't feel that I could make music or have a yeah it was just a case of listening I know I'm observing and soaking music up mm. i suppose that's um sometimes i think that you know um i guess a musical education um can sometimes be a hindrance you know you, i speak to a lot of musicians that that are so fully um fully trained and full, full, fully classically um mm. literate in music that they actually struggle to find their own voice don't they? everyone's different so some people i know who have had musical training because they've learned the rules, they understand, they find it easier to break them. Um, and then there are examples, like you mentioned, people who are restricted by the rules, who feel, who find, don't feel confident enough to, to jump out of that comfort zone. So depends, really. I feel I would like to have more musical training. Um, but at the same time, in my case, because I... I don't really know the rules. I've always, I've just made them up as I've gone along. And that's, it's a double-edged sword. It can be quite freeing. It could also be quite frustrating. And and so now, uh, are you uh, in London? I am. Or... I am in London where? currently. And you're in, is that, is that where your, your, your home life is? For now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For now. Um, do you like to travel? I do. I do. I've been very lucky. I've been able to travel a fair bit through my uh, through having a music career and gigging and um yeah, I do miss it and yeah, post all this madness I would like to get back on that. Yeah, I guess I mean did you have um tours planned this summer? I did. I've got I still got a tour um in the diary for October, November this year in Europe and the UK. Um if it happens, is anyone's guess. Um, but yeah, I had, I had a fair few festivals for the summer. Britain's on a mission, humans in a daze, far right on the jukebox, I vision bright as day, 
Sorry, love, but you're all alone. Snuff hole turns colder. Seat warmth in these bitter days. Beach snaps on the phone. And what is that typical? Um, well, I think I know the answer to the question. It's probably mad eclectic, your audience, right? Um, yeah, very lucky that that's the case for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and I guess really that's part of the beauty of um, this uh, this refusal to be categorized, really. It's not. I mean, <laughs> refusal feels like quite a. Um, a rebellious act <laughs> and I, it's not a case of me being a rebel or refusing i just i just don't it just it, my natural inclination is to not think about genre you know it's just kind of i just don't i for me i just don't get how i, I do get it but it doesn't feel natural for me to understand why anyone would want to make music that only what that um that is dictated by rules and parameters you know so it, this is how my head works so if i choose to use if i if i decide right tomorrow i am part of genre a and maybe a little bit of genre b so that means that i can only make music and write lyrics to a certain extent that fit within the worlds of A and B. But what about the rest of the alphabet? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's kind of how <laughs> I, my brain works. So it just never has made sense to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, it's the, I guess it's the kind of machine of the music industry that actually starts defining those things, isn't it? Um, of course. It's, you know, it's, and, just, it's for sale purposes at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it makes it easier for the consumer to find a particular artist or band and i get it i totally get it and i've i've definitely um i know i've tr i'm treading a much more difficult path because of the stance i have but i just think that i make more interesting music making music the way i make i want to make it so ultimately i've got to please myself yeah and ultimately you know i'm i'm um I'm a big believer in that. I think Louis Armstrong said it first, you know, there's only two kinds of music. There's a good kind and a bad kind. Right? <laughs> and the good kind is stuff that makes you tap your, tap your feet. That's the good kind. Mm. Um, and I mean, certainly, as you said, you know, like why, why I'm, you know, sort of squeezing you into this sort of literary corner, <laughs> I'm afraid um, in that opening, opening, opening question. Um, certainly on this, this, this last album, there's some, some real grooves in there as well. Um, uh, the track that really stuck out for me was the one with the French vocalist. So tell me about that. Ah, um, I can't remember which one is it. Be, Sorry, I um, oh god, I, I forget the names of the songs as well. <laughs> um, that would be oh gosh, what is it called? <laughs> I've got Spotify open. Shall I just play? Jesus, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> My mind's gone blank. Um, god. <laughs> There we go. This train wreck it? of a life. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This train <laughs> wreck of a life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to play that out again. <laughs> um, I, that song uh, was, I would say, influenced by Serge Garsbo's music and yeah. his, um, the kind of like sexy French um, theatrical thing, I guess. Um, yeah. that he did so well and his use of strings um, was quite attractive to me so that was kind of like the beginning influences for that song I guess and to kind of hammer that home I felt like I needed to have someone say some French stuff over it um, so <laughs> I decided to I wrote a poem um, in English, and then um, the lady who sings on the, on the song, Sarah Sarah, on that particular song, alongside me, um, she translated it into French and um, performed it for the record. And uh, yeah, it was kind of, um, I, I wanted to write a love song that wasn't again, that's like everything I do. I just felt like I didn't want to 
follow the rules of a love song where it needs to be all happy, clappy, and, you know, every, everything is bliss. Yeah. I just wanted to explore another side of love, which is where people are in a relationship, but they don't. maybe it's not love. Maybe it's hate, you know. Maybe it's, there is love in there, but hate is the more of the dominant force. Um, and for whatever reason, they can't leave each other. They can't separate themselves from them, from each other and this situation. So that was kind of what I wanted to write about. And that's what the poem talks about. Like, can you, oh, let, you know, it's, it's good to know because when you're, when you when you're an anglophone person like I am, you know someone could be talking about talk talk about their their, their trip down to Tesco. <laughs> I don't I don't speak French, so I I trusted <laughs> Sarah, Sarah <laughs> was translating it, and you know wasn't making a funny joke on my, on my expense. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of what the song was about, and um, yeah, it's it's kind of. I like it. <laughs> I like it. La haine et l'amour. Haïr et aimer. Toujours avec amour. Bouleverser consciemment parce qu'en matière de cœur, il n'y a pas d'accident. L'essence de ma vie au creux de ta main serrée, la tienne dans la mienne. Yeah, it's, that's just that. To me, that's, that's there's a sort of. Um... There's a lot of rhythm through through the whole album, and uh, mm. you know it's a kind of it's kind of music you can groove to as well as listen to the lyrics. I mean, when when you're listening to music, mm. do you hear the lyrics or do you hear the bass line? Do you hear the drum? Where does your ear go? To? Um, um, depends on the song. Depends on how interested I am in the song. There's different levels of listening i guess i can i can surface level listen and i'm kind of just taking it all in and then if sometimes something will stand out and uh for example i'm listening to i'm back listening to um a gentleman called eugene mcdaniels who was a kind of a he made a, f a couple of records in the seventies on Atlantic Records, and they were kind of um, quite left field, left field, left field. Ugh, it's hard to explain. They're kind of like political soul, political uh, jazz infused funk. It's very, very strange in parts. Um, but what? what's what's really grabbed me this time around of me listening and when i'm when i'm when i say i'm listening to an album i'm listening to it every day all day again and again and again and um the bass the, the band the backing band for for on a record is just amazing and the bass lines on some of those songs are just unbelievable so there's that but at the same time his lyrics they're so potent and he's talking about, you know, the political situation in America in the seventies. And it's so it's it's a combination of amazing grooves, but really um potent lyrics, that really hard hitting lyrics. And it's almost they're almost too heavy, but because of the the grooves and the kind of like hip swinging um, instrumentation you kind of are in this kind of weird state of not sure where you're supposed to how you're supposed to feel <laughs> and um so yeah it depends on it just depends on the artist depends on the songs I, i'm i love i love musicianship i love amazing musicianship i love quirky ideas and people taking risks and yeah that pricks up my ears every time how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, that's um, going back to that point about, you know, a bit of hip swinging in with a hard hitting political message. That's been a technique that's really powerful. I mean, you know, some if you, if you, if you listen to a lot of um, a lot of black music through the ages, you know, that has been that has been at the key right from the start. Right. It's been this kind of it's been a, a sort of a music that's been entwined um, or musics that have been, have been entwined with culture and identity and struggle. Um, I've got messages across really, really strongly by being yeah, on the dance floor as well, right? I, I, I would only say it's black music, you know. You could say that about people like Radiohead, you know. <laughs> be listening to In Rainbows again, yeah. and true, I would, true, I yeah. would dance away to some of their songs. And his lyrics are dark as fuck. Um, so it just depends. There's, there's a whole load of people doing it, um, and it's a, it's a good thing. I think it's, I think it's. Um, a good thing to do because personally I've never wanted to hit anyone over the head repeatedly with a with my um societal societal insights or you know my mm. observations of the world um which I normally are quite bleak and marrying that musically as well like like mirroring it would be quite heavy I feel over the course of a record, some people find that find out find that anyway. They feel that my music is quite heavy, and that's fine. Um, but I try to find a, a counterbalance with my music and lyrics. You know. Yeah, it's it's, fun, it's funny, isn't it? Like one of the things that I've been uh, doing during this lockdown period is you know mm. get my old records out again and listening to old old records that I haven't listened to for a long time. Right. And um, like you said about being able to dance to music you didn't think you used to be able to dance to. You like, I mean, I, I mean, I got out the, um, I mean, I'm an, I was an Essex soul boy, right? About 1984. Mm. Um, really into, into, you know, straight ahead soul, you know, soul music, um, as, as I, as I recognized it. Mm. And then I went and bought, um, the 12 inch of heaven knows I'm miserable now, you know, by the Smiths. Okay. Um, yeah. and I didn't realize at the time, at, at the time that sounded like weird indie music to me. Right. And right. all my mate, what are you listening to that shit for? You know, this mm. bloke on top of the box with uh, daffodils hanging out of his back pocket. <laughs> but I played it the other day and, you know, it's, it's an amazing dance record. You know, it's mm. like an incredible, incredible group. You know, Johnny Marg guitars. Mm. And I remember now, like, you know, what, what I saw in it, 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 it at the time. Yeah. And it's funny that, like, music and all art, isn't it? You know, I feel like how you... Um, how you interpret things depends on where you're at at the time, right? For How sure. you approach. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's, um, yeah, I totally agree. It's, you, you're always developing, and um, as a human, and you're 
the experiences that you have at 15 are so different from when they when you hit 30 or 45 or 60 you know it's a case of um for me my experiences inform the kind of music that I want to listen to and the kind of messages that get through to me you know and what I retain in terms of um the listening experience is very different from when I was younger um and yeah I do listen back I was finally my friend sent me a playlist of stuff that she's been listening to over lockdown and a lot of it's kind of like like soul and mixture of it's weird it's like kind of mixture of soul stuff and it's like Bowie and um again kind of grooves and stuff but yeah it's it's funny it's like stuff like David Bowie I love now I must have heard a couple of songs when I was younger but I just didn't get it you know same with stuff like jazz I used to listen I, I listened to a bit of it in uni but it was more kind of trans, trad jazz stuff um and I just kind of I just it just didn't sit with me I couldn't quite get it and then as I've got older it's this it's everything now I, I totally get it and I don't know I guess I don't know if that's just done to having more patience or seeking something different from my the music I'm listening to as I get older I don't know but yeah it's interesting yeah it's it's strange I mean I, I, I totally hear that and um you know myself you know that journey we're all on a, on a on a journey aesthetically right and for sure sometimes you go backwards and forwards and sideways mm. but did you ever ever have that um did you ever uh, you know you mentioned that you got into making music when you was at uni mm. did you have that kind of period when you were when music was first the center of your life would did it sort of overtake you or was it always there um in terms of music making or just music in general well music i was just wondering i'm thinking was there a musical moment like for, for me for example what i'm thinking of is mm. uh we used to get when i when i first started going to these great big what we called like you know nightclub discos yeah <laughs> discos at the time mm-hmm. uh and this, this sort of mass experience of dancing on a dance floor yeah and seeing we're we talking like the early 80s so you still saw like formation dancing and you know mm-hmm. like all sorts of people on the dance floor right. doing these mad uh really coming together in a completely inebriated state um not a lot of drugs about at that time mm-hmm. but that was a real moment for me where i thought wow music isn't just something that that i'm listening to in, in my mum on my mum and dad's stereo yeah. in the corner of the yeah at the front row mm-hmm. did you have that moment and you know and, and what was it mm-hmm. Not really, not as a kid. I I, I had a, quite a sheltered upbringing, so I didn't really go out at all um, until I went to uni. So I think that informed um, how I um, first, my first real engagement with it was, was kind of, I guess, I guess parties in uni, but it was more, yeah, starting to make music. It was the kind of, from listening to music, because that's all I could do. Maybe that's partly why I don't have those kind of being in a club, discotheque, hearing the music on a big system for the first time type type stories. Um, because I, I was listening to a lot of music in the comfort of my home. Making music for the first time was this kind of real magical moment because... It was this idea that I could, out of nothing, create sound, you know, and this thing that I held up to such high, uh, uh, high what's the phrase? Held up to such a high regard, I held up so highly, put on a pedestal. I don't know, but um, yeah, it was it was such this mythical thing, and to be able to make, and it, you know, it was the first bits of music I made was shit. It was just nonsense, but it was just the the fact that I I I was able to do it was like a real eye opener for me, and it started yeah. started the journey of me analyzing everything I was hearing in a very different way, 
when you start making music then you start well not everyone but for me it was very much a case of like we just talked about about analyzing every aspect of a song and like how did they, how did they do that how did they make that da, da, da. and i didn't you know it wasn't like i was able to make music the music that i really wanted to make in the beginning but it definitely started me off on that journey it was the i guess the awakening of my i guess passion for creativity Great. And what were you, what were you studying at, uh, in Coventry? Media production. So it was kind of like a all right, so, like right. community. If you call it communication studies, that what they call it media studies. Um, so yeah, I was learning how to um, uh, create radio shows and edit videos and film and photography and stuff like that on a, on a obviously uni level. So that's what. I did, yeah. So, um, obviously, there was, there was the context around you to be able to make make some stuff happen. But I guess, as you said, you said earlier that you've. Um, You've taken. You haven't taken the path of least resistance, have you? you know, <laughs> you've, created, <laughs> you've created music that um, you know isn't necessarily particularly commercial. It doesn't fit into categories of the mm, big machine. Uh, I don't know. I would. I would say that my music is commercial. It's this not the kind of commercial what um, big business wants to sell. You know, mm. I don't. I don't. What is commercial? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I just don't see it commercial as purely pop music, which makes the top ten in the charts. You know, commercial music could, anything could be commercial if it's given enough exposure. So maybe it's more like exposure thing than my music not being commercial. Mm. Put throwing that out there. I'm always full of questions. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, well, no question that comes off that off that then is like. <laughs> What have the challenges been? Have you been in a situation where people have been telling you this is what you need to do and you've gone the other way or is that you haven't had that experience? I've been very, very lucky that I've never been dictated to in terms of what music I should make. I know in the very beginning there would have been comment about particular songs and maybe, you know, more of that would be nice, but I was always very um, protective and dogged about what I would produce and make because ultimately I want to please myself first and foremost. And who knows, maybe that's not the right attitude to have if you want to release music professionally. But I've always had this attitude of if I love it, then I would want to, I want other people to hear it. So that's kind of been my journey. Um, like I've mentioned earlier, I know that I've taken a, a longer and more winding route, but I can look back and say that I'm proud of 99.5% of the music that I've made, which is, which is something that I class as an achievement. I've made five records now and to say that to myself and and that feels good you know yeah indeed i mean well as i say it's um i mean to keep i, I suppose it's the word integrity that that difficult word mm. that people like to, yeah uh, and all and authenticity i suppose which is another word it's banded around a lot you know and people <laughs> always seeking these things mm. but to kind of i mean in a in a really kind of a sort of a fragmented music industry as it were you know where there's so many channels and so way so many ways of disseminating the music mm. it's to, to keep that integrity is perhaps the biggest challenge sometimes um if you class it as a challenge then yeah i don't because it's this what i do is my default you know um 
when you start making music professionally and start releasing music professionally, um, I guess it's more from the second record onwards. The first record, you don't really you don't have a clue who's going to listen to what you make and put out there. So you don't really have any thoughts about it. Once you start making music, once you pop releasing music and you start to get reviews and then, you know, the public can then critique what you've made, you do start to, you can, this is the, the, the moment when you can doubt yourself and you can start thinking along the lines of, oh, well, this song done really well, or, you know, this kind of stuff works, maybe I should make more of that. But mm. I've always had this attitude of, people like what I do because I don't compromise. I feel, I feel, I feel that's partly the reason people like what I do. And um, if I start to try and please any one particular person or, or, or publication or a group of, of fans, then there'll be another set of people who don't like the new direction I've gone down. So I've just got to try and please myself. And whoever enjoys my latest offering, great. If they don't, I have previous records that you can check out. <laughs> and, or maybe I'll catch you on the next one. You know, that's that's something that I've trained my mind to to um, to accept over time. You know, I came across your music by the, that time in the Mercury Prize. Um, right, yeah. Did that put you in a certain place where you could make music without compromise? Um, who knows? I don't know. If I turn the clock back and take them away, I would have a better idea. I don't know. I think the Mercury, Mercury Prize nominations, um, it's something almost kind of like, um, <laughs> it's like, it's like getting a musical knighthood, you know, you kind of, um, especially abroad, it's definitely held in, high regard being nominated for the Mercury Prize and so it should be I think it's an amazing I think it's an amazing achievement and an amazing um, entity I, I, I love the Mercury Prize um, yeah. being nominated twice you know it's doubly revered I guess and um, I don't know I wouldn't say that again I just don't think about things like that in terms of do I can I now do this because of that? You know, I don't, I don't know if that's even the right way of looking at it, but I just, I just kind of got on with it really. Um, mm. You know, after, after back of the first nomination, if I was smart, I would have made something quite commercial <laughs> because it was um, a time when there was a whole load of spotlight on me and naturally there'd be interest, maybe a bit more interest in what I do post the first record. But my my attitude at the time was I'd, I'd just broken up with my fiance and moved to East London. I was like, I just want to fucking talk about how depressed I am <laughs> and how shit life is. So that was kind of my thinking uh, going into a second record. And that's just how I've always thought, you know, I've just kind of just gone with what feels right to me. And I feel being nominated a couple of times for the Mercury Prize definitely puts you in this bracket of an artist, you know, an artiste, yeah. um, which is nice. I, I definitely class myself as an artist, so it's nice to have that on the CV um, to kind of back up my own beliefs. Um, mm. But it doesn't really go much further than that in my mind, I would say. You got dates in England, so I'd love to come and check you out. Yeah, I've never seen you. November, November. I'm not sure exactly really? when, but it's kind of uh, end of October, early November is when the the England dates are. Like, yeah, that's that's the current plan. We'll see. We'll see. We might we might have to be masked, masked and gloved. And this all is that, what but... I'm thinking. I've, I that is my feeling that potentially gigs will happen, 
but people will have to be masked up and gloved up. I don't know how that's going to work for people on stage, but I think the audience, that, yeah. this is what I'm seeing in my mind. And I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it, but if people, I don't know, it's weird, isn't it? It's a weird one, that one. I, I, I don't like the idea of having my, I mean, I've got a big fat beard as well. I don't know how it's going to work. <laughs> Trust me, give it time and there's going to be way more stylish designs that come about. You know, you'll start to find, there'll be all sorts of stuff jumping up on Amazon and Etsy oh, no, and stuff no. like that. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. The, the, masks could be cool now, you know. I know. Well, you know, it's <laughs> funny, funny enough, I've spent a bit of time in Japan. I've got a mate who lives okay. over there and I've been yeah. lucky enough to go over there. And obviously it's been part of the, the scene there mm, for a while. A long time. His, his take on it was that he actually thinks that what amongst young people mm. it's actually part of the sort of digitarian um you know uh generation where people actually don't like human interaction that much wow. so when they get on when they get on the tube it's yeah. easier for them to cover their faces yeah that's not interesting have that yeah, that's his take on it. I think it started out as, as a mode of politeness to not infect other people, but I feel like yeah. that's that's what worries about me. The, you know, once conventions set in, yeah, it's very difficult to roll them back. Right? For sure. I'd hate to think, you know, I'd hate to think that this social distancing becomes uh, just embedded in the culture. Oh my god, it, people! Imagine I'm currently single, and imagine I can imagine a, a time where you have to you have to have an identity card with your actual face so people know what you look like <laughs> alongside what you're actually looking at in real life as in somebody in a mask. It could be yeah. quite quite mad. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, one of my, actually one of my female friends just posted recently saying, and she's single, she said, oh my God, I can't ever see the likelihood that I'm ever going to get laid again. <laughs> 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 yeah it's 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 a bit yeah you know i would i would say to your friend give it time i'm sure well there's a will there's a way you know um, <laughs> no, no, no 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 not me not me i'm i'm, I'm being a hermit right now and staying indoors um, but i'm sure you know in time things will become apparent in her life <laughs> but yeah all that stuff is all of it it's all a bit mad i just can't quite get my head around not only just yeah. like social life in terms of being single but the social life in general and you know if masks become mandatory generally what happens what happens yeah. in any kind of social gatherings what happens if you go to a pub or a bar or whatever how you, yeah well, how I is am, that all gonna work my, i just yeah like how's my 18 year old you know he might have been yeah, he wasn't going to go to uni next year, but mm. um, he was going to do a ski season. He's, he loves skiing, so okay. he's going to go and try and be a ski bum for, for yeah. a year or so. Yeah. And, um, but that's that's probably off the cars now. Mm. So then we thought, well, maybe maybe you should go to college next year. And then, but then why go to college if you can't go and get messy on a dance yeah. floor and not yeah. inappropriate yeah. people? And this is it. And, and even have lectures face to face, man. So really, yeah. I feel. Yeah. They're the people I feel sorry for right now. Yeah, people. the younger generation, you know, yeah, you know, it's yeah, if you're like seventeen, eighteen now and you're just gonna you're just gonna about to go off to uni or thinking about stuff like that and just getting a bit more independence and yeah, now this is happening and yeah, you know. I've had I've had a few summers, so I, I'm I'm okay for a I could miss a couple. But exactly when you're seventeen, eighteen, <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, it's the time of your life, you know. Yeah, it's, a, it's if it wasn't so tragic, it would be a fascinating case study, like a human case study of you know of how humans are adapting to these new set of circumstances. You know, it's um, it's quite fascinating. Thanks for downloading and listening to the second season of Joining the Dots. Joining the Dots has been brought to you by Huck Magazine. My name's been Mike Fulham. I'm one of the founding editors of Huck. And big thanks goes out to Rob Taliesin-Owen, sound alchemist, who helps us out with his projects massively. Thanks also to Vince Medeiros, Andy Curland, Dom Sisley, Ben Cook, Niall Flynn. Thanks Sarah Rodriguez at Beating Creative. Thanks also goes out to you, the listeners, the readers. Go to huckmagazine.com, huckmag.com. 
Khan for all your latest cultural stories, stories about people paddling against the flow, people countering the narrative, people defining themselves and making culture in their own image. Stay tuned to HuckMag.com. Stay tuned and download the first series from wherever you get your podcasts. It's Joining the Dots, hosted by Don Letts, and now hosted by me, Mike Fulham. See you on the other side. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.